I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to talk about the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We're also going to be talking about the indecision of the grand jury coming out of Louisville, Kentucky, regarding Breonna Taylor. And then later on in the pod, we're going to be interviewing our own pastor, Reverend Jacob Topper, as we talk about the importance of ministers taking care of themselves during this pandemic. So stay tuned. Autumn, how are you this week? It's been a tough week. It has been a tough week. I'm eating my feelings. I'm having some pumpkin bread right now. And so I feel like everyone just needs to take a minute and do something that helps them to feel some solace and some calm. There's, as usual for 2020, there's a lot to be upset about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Friday night, sitting down to dinner with my family when we got the text uh, that, or the, uh, the, I guess the notification, I should say, that uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away. And, you know, not to talk about, we can talk about it here in a moment, about filling her seat, but just the loss in general. She was just a legal giant, a, a hero for so many people, especially uh, women who practice law. It just, it's just such a great loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, professional women, Jewish women, mm-hmm. women in general. Um, and she was just a voice for the marginalized and her her legal mind did a lot for our country and i think some of the some of what we're grieving right now is the potential loss of some of that hard work that she did right i mean as such an advocate uh, a legal advocate for uh, women's equality in the marketplace and in the job place uh, just continued to stand up uh, and make an argument that women needed to be treated equal as men. And it's just hard, it's hard to believe that uh, when she started her legal career that women could not get a credit card uh, without having their husband's signature or a mortgage without having their husband's signature. And she's the one that took the lead and fought before the Supreme Court at the time to bring all of these archaic patriarchal laws to an end and really began to set the stage for true equality in this country. And she's just, she was just such a a giant. Chief Justice Roberts uh, came out with a great statement uh, talking about what a giant uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was and uh, just such a loss. And uh, everybody is just so, so sad. Except some people aren't sad because now this creates an opening on the Supreme Court. And um, it's just, you know, it's interesting. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. It's just interesting how... Politics can be played up on the death of a Supreme Court justice, and we've seen it happen in the last uh, four and five years. When President Obama was in office, uh, the tragic death of uh, Scalia, uh, Justice, or Justice Scalia, took place, and Obama uh, attempted to fill Scalia's seat, uh, Scalia being a more conservative judge. And uh, this was 10 months before the election. Uh, brought forth uh, Judge Merrick Garland's nomination, and the Republican-controlled Senate uh, wouldn't even give him a hearing. And now, here we are, 45 days away from another presidential election. The only difference is that there is a Republican president and a continued Republican majority in the Senate, and now they're doing everything they can uh, to bring forth a nominee 
that President Trump will um, says he's going to name by this weekend. It's just, just, it's really disheartening. I mean, you know, and I know, I know there are people play politics all the time in Washington, D.C., but when you see it this blatantly and you see hypocrisy uh, this blatantly, it just discourages the soul and just really, uh, you hang your head and just, you know, it's like, is this what America has come to? Is this where democracy is in 2020? Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. It's where we are. And we're seeing it, as you alluded to as well, um, in our justice system. Yes, absolutely. The indecision by the grand jury in Louisville, Kentucky this week um, that uh, the three police officers that were involved in the shooting of Breonna Taylor earlier this year uh, none of them were charged with her direct death. There was one charge that they allowed to move forward, and that was disarming a firearm in a uh, harmful way. Uh, and it sheetrock re- matters. Yeah, right, it, because the officer hit sheetrock, and it could have hit somebody else. But nothing, nothing uh, regarding the the life of the loss of life of Breonna Taylor. I was talking to my uh, college-age son the other day about this, and, you know, we were just lamenting about where we are in the state of this country and that the legal system, there's nothing to be done legally, criminally for Breonna Taylor. Even, and what the crazy thing is, is that the city of Louisville has already provided a settlement to the Taylor family. They acknowledge that there was a wrong done. Mm-hmm. But in another venue, in a criminalized venue, they're saying that there was no criminality done. It makes no sense whatsoever. Now, I was talking to my son about this, and I made the offhand comment, the system is so broken. And this 20-year-old said to me, Dad, the system is not broken. The system is operating exactly the way it was designed. Spoken like a true Ivy Leaguer. (laughs) When he said that, he, I mean, it just resonated with me. He could be no closer to the truth. He is absolutely 100% correct. The Mm -hmm. systems that we have in this country were designed to benefit white privilege and to hinder anyone who is a person of color. So when we talk about systemic racism at Good Faith Media, this is exactly what we're talking about. These systems were created hundreds of years ago and modified 150 years ago to benefit the white class in this country. And if you are a black or brown person, the system is going to work against you. Mm-hmm. It's simple as that. I'm just really distraught for the future of this country. There is hope. Uh, listening to the words of my son, listening mm-hmm. to the words and comments from future generations, that they are not going to stand for the status quo. If Regardless of the topic, whether it is climate change, which continues to decline, or 
systemic racism in some of the institutions that we have hold that we hold dear in this country. They are not going to let the status quo continue, and they are standing up. They are marching in the streets. I recently read. Uh, John Meacham's book about uh, John Lewis, His Truth is Marching On. It's a wonderful book. I want to recommend it to everybody. And I was just reminded uh, by Meacham uh, that Lewis, while he was living, especially when he was an 18-year-old and 20-year-old young man, was in the streets risking his life Mm -hmm. so that his people could be registered to vote. Just Mm -hmm. such sacrifice, such passion. And we need that passion and sacrifice yet again today. Yeah, I saw someone, someone wrote, uh, we owe John Lewis and and Ruth Bader Ginsburg some good trouble. And so I hope everyone will remember that. And, you know, we've taken a minute to sort of catch our breath and lick our wounds and it's time to get back up and keep marching. Absolutely. And so I want to encourage everybody that's having, that, that feels like they're in a dark place this week, that feels like the country continues to spiral out of control, that there is no good news. The good news is that you have an opportunity to engage this system. If you believe in democracy, if you believe in decency, if you believe in justice, then get involved. The only way we can change the trajectory that we are currently headed down is if good people get involved and do something. The worst thing can happen is if we just shake our heads and say nothing can be done and we step aside to let this continue. We can Mm -hmm. no longer stand aside. We've got to stand up for justice. And a lot of people say, why are you talking about these things? What does this have to do with faith? What does this have to do with gospel? I conclude that this is very much the gospel. Again, I want to go back to Meacham when he was interviewing John Lewis. And Lewis talked about when he was going to seminary in Nashville. He was an ordained Baptist minister. And when he was going to seminary in Nashville, he talked about the disconnect between the seminary at the time, always wanting to talk about the streets of gold. When he said, I believe we should talk about the streets of gold, but I think we also need to be talking about the streets of Nashville because those two are gospel. Absolutely. We've got yeah. to we've got to stop this nonsense and this false accepting this false dichotomy that it's got to be talking about spiritual matters or earthly matters and they do not connect. That yeah. is not what God intended. And Jesus Himself, when He taught the disciples to pray and gave them the beautiful prayer known as the Lord's Prayer, He says, "Pray is pray saying, Your will be done on earth." as it is in heaven, and he connects yep. the spiritual and the physical. So when we talk about social justice, when we talk about racial justice, when we talk about common decency and the ills of hypocrisy that we see coming out of Washington, D.C., what we are trying to say is that, yes, the streets of gold matter. Yes, we love to contemplate what God is doing, not only in this world, but the world to come. But we have to concentrate on the streets here and now. You cannot separate the two. And I think that's where a lot of our fellow believers are, is they're like, yeah, this is horrible. I don't necessarily agree with what's going on, but I'm just going to keep my eyes focused on heaven. 
Right. And, and it's when, so not the way Jesus lived. Yeah. And the, sometimes the things, the reason I think they do that is because when you put your eyes on heaven solely, that means you don't have to look around. Mm-hmm. And you can be blissfully ignorant to the injustice that are happening in your streets. And that is privilege. It is absolutely privilege. Absolutely. So I just want to encourage everybody this week uh, who is feeling down, who's feeling a little bit depressed, get involved. And eat some pumpkin bread. And eat pumpkin bread. It's fall by (laughs) crying out loud. Uh, So... All right. Well, uh, now we're going to be uh, talking to our pastor, the Reverend Jacob Topper. Uh, Jacob recently wrote a wonderful article discussing the importance of self-care for ministers. It's a hard time to be a pastor these days, folks. And so uh, listen to Jacob's words. He's very wise when it comes uh, to this particular topic. And after the interview, call your pastor, write your pastor a letter, or drop by their house and take a meal and uh, just let them know that you care. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, we've got a very special guest with us and someone that Autumn and I love dearly, our pastor, Reverend Jacob Topper. Jacob is the senior pastor at North Haven Church here in Norman, Oklahoma. He hails from the great state of Texas, spending most of his ministry in the Texas Panhandle. He's a graduate of Logston Seminary at Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas, and from the residency program at Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. His wife, Alyssa, is a licensed physical therapist, and they have one beautiful daughter. Recently, Jacob has written about the struggles of ministry, especially during these days of COVID-19. So, Jacob... Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. So good to be here with y'all today, Autumn, Mitch. Thanks, thanks for having me. So, Jacob, uh, we've been asking all of our guests here at Good Faith Weekly the very same question to begin with: How are you? How's your family doing during this days of pandemic? Everybody healthy? You know, my family's doing really well. Um, my wife, my daughter are doing great, both very healthy. My daughter's uh, turned two in June, growing like a weed, starting to talk, uh, just enough to scare me. But gratefully, we're in pandemic, so she can't repeat too many <laughs> things she hears at home out into the world to too many people. Um, so my family, my media family's healthy, and uh, man, that ain't nothing right now. That's, right. that's important. That yeah. really is important. My mom had COVID, um, very oh, wow. serious mm-hmm. for about four weeks. Um, but she, she's, uh, seems to have kicked that for the most part, still dealing with some respiratory issues in the aftermath of that. Um, but knowing how bad it can go for so many people, um, it's got a lot to be grateful for right now, a whole lot to be grateful for. Great. So would and would you say that COVID is real? <laughs> um, you know, I hear I hear that it is. Okay. Yeah. Oh, At least his mama said it was real. Virus. Never seen the virus with my own two eyes, um, but I accept it on faith. Got it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad that uh, your family's doing well and your mom's recovering. Uh, it's a scary Let's thing when. You get that kind of mm-hmm. diagnosis. So, yeah. well, Hi, let me mom. certainly be listening. <laughs> Absolutely. Hi, mom. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of the pandemic and, you know, you're the pastor of a church here in Oklahoma. 
I mean, how, how has the church handled operating during the pandemic? I mean, obviously, there's going to be challenges during this very difficult time for you and other churches, but also there had to be some opportunities that uh, emerged during this time as well. So just talk to mm-hmm. us a little bit about kind of you know, how things have gone. What are the good things? What are the bad things that have you seen? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, I remember when we first made the decision to not meet in person back in the middle of, well, I guess it was second week of March. Uh, a couple weeks went by and I remember being in staff meeting and talking with the staff and they were asking, you know, how long do we need to plan to be in, in pandemic and, uh, or in virtual worship? And somebody said, well, you know, this will probably be like this for another two or three weeks. Uh, another staff member said, that's, that's just crazy. There's, it won't last. It won't last that long. And I remember being the pessimist that I am. Uh, telling the staff, you know, we, we won't be meeting again in person until at least June or July. Um, and they, they were shocked by that claim. Um, and then now we're in September and still haven't entered the sanctuary together again. Now we're, we're meeting outside on the lawn for worship, as y'all, as y'all know. And that seems to be going pretty well. Um, six months later, and here we are. Uh, it's it's kind of been a wild ride one day at a time. But one of the things we learned right off the bat that I, I personally just thought, thought was so cool is when we were virtual church only, we pre-recorded everything. We didn't meet in the sanctuary and stream it live like some churches did. Um, we recorded different elements in our homes and then sent them in and compiled it all together. And so we had children that would were, were happy to play piano for their mom and a cell phone oh, camera yeah. that were not confident or comfortable getting up in front of the whole church in the sanctuary mm-hmm. to play the piano or sing and do all this. And so once, once one kid did something in worship, well, then other kids started wanting to do things as well. And so there's a fantastic video. I don't know if y'all can share this as a part of this clip or not, um, that I have of Autumn's kids saying the Lord's Prayer oh. together yeah. that your yeah, oldest, Autumn, Ava, edited together. Her, she did all the video technical stuff, mm-hmm. put it together. The little one sang the Lord's Prayer, and then we included that in worship, which led to another kid seeing it and saying, hey, I would like to, to play piano. And then another kid saw it and said, well, I would like to sing in worship. And then it came full circle where uh, Autumn shared a picture of her youngest watching uh, the service one Sunday morning as one of the other children was singing, mm-hmm. just captivated as Ingrid watched, um, who was it? It was the Moore, it was Katie, mm-hmm. Katie Moore was singing in worship and and their Ingrid is just just a starstruck watching her and, and so it came full circle. Uh, so virtual worship allowed us to put children kind of front and center mm. in worship in a way that we I, I just hadn't 
been able to do at in-person worship mm-hmm. before. So that was, that was pretty neat. So it sounds like, I mean, really, obviously, so many distractions uh, with uh, the pandemic going on for churches. But this also is an incredible opportunity for the church to be the church and to open new opportunities, as you just eloquently described, for church members to be involved. And that's been exciting for us to see across the country uh, how churches are adapting their ministry and their worship uh, during this time of pandemic. It really has been inspirational, I guess. And so uh, thanks for sharing that. Well, as is usually my role, let me take this sunshine you guys are spreading <laughs> around. Let's let's look at the darker side of. Wait, 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 wait a minute! Dun, 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 dun. I know, right? The, Here I'm, comes Autumn with so the darkness. Usually, it's so usually not me. I'm usually the opposite of this. <laughs> but Jacob, you have written really a vul- some vulnerable words about what it's like to be a minister in general, but especially exacerbated as it has been by COVID. Um, you know, Josh and I mm-hmm. served in local churches before he found the law um, and got us the heck out of there. <laughs> I thought you could just um, say found the Lord. <laughs> yeah. no, we, we found the Lord and then we found the law and that was a better fit. For <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> um, but it can be so difficult. So what do you think has been the most challenging part of being a minister right now? Uh, man, it's really hard to narrow that down to one thing or to parse between things. I know that's that's the question, and I'm I'm revolting against it. That's fine. <laughs> it, it, it all you know it all has a, a cumulative effect, right? And so, what one real good example of that is um, I I have come out I, I've said the phrase Black Lives Matter from the pulpit prior to this year. Uh-huh. I said it last year. I said it the year before that um, with very little pushback on that. Um, now, after George Floyd, it seems that everything has been ratcheted up a notch, and for good reason. There's some very serious problems in the world we need to address. And so I uh, spoke to the issue and, again, explained to my church why I personally say Black Lives Matter um, and it was met with uh, some significant resistance um, from people who heard me say it last year and didn't uh, weren't weren't bothered enough by it to to you know do anything about it last year or the year before. Uh, and I and I see that as and um, all of these things that are going on right now between living in this hyper partisan culture, a civil rights movement, the pandemic, um, the anxiety of one increases the anxiety of the other. So where in the end, we're sitting here with anxiety that's even greater than the sum of its parts. And the sum of its parts is significant all by itself. And so um, it's almost have a snowball Mm -hmm. effect, I think, not just on congregants, but on pastors um, and we're, you know, we're going through some financial struggles at our church that uh, aren't connected to the pandemic that just happen to co- co-align with it. And that's, that's just wonderful, too. Um, so the normal stresses of church, which was never, you know, a breeze, it's always been stressful, yeah. are still there. And now we have all these other great ones on top of that. And so I think a lot of us are just trying to endure and survive and, and figure out what it's what it's like walking this road to Calvary. Um, but luckily, we've got a pretty good guide. 
on the journey, I guess. There's my spiritual nugget. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, when we asked, when we formed that question, we were really thinking more about kind of the struggles of the pandemic, but you immediately went to the civil rights and racial justice uh, mm-hmm. uh, movement that's taking place in the country. Um, yeah. All of this, as you said, is happening at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. Do you and your colleagues uh, and fellow pastors, do you, are you getting more, uh, are you finding more angst in the civil rights movement or the pandemic or is it just really all of it working together to just put yeah, a weight on your shoulders? Together, um, I think it, you'd be hard pressed to parse out mm-hmm. where the anxiety of one ends and the other the other begins. Um, like the yeah, yeah, the water just kind of flows freely back and forth, right. probably. Right. Um, now, I think. The civil rights movement is a lot easier thing to for people to voice oh, their discontent about probably mm-hmm. than the, than the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the pandemic is something new. We're all Lord. We don't know what to do. We're doing one day at a time as as best we can. Um, I've gotten some pushback for us not being in person in the sanctuary worshiping, Mm -hmm. but not a ton of pushback because, you know, worst case scenario is someone dies. And so it's hard to argue too strongly with that, Mm -hmm. even if you do disagree. Um, But because the world is so hyper-partisan right now in America, uh, it's a lot easier to to critique a sermon I preach where I explain why I say black lives matter um, and let that be the lightning rod that you, that, that people get to dump all of their anxiety about the pandemic, um, their fear for their loved ones, lives, um, all of their angst about our partisan uh, situation, the upcoming election. And, and there's, there's a rod where you can dump all that anxiety mm-hmm. uh, because maybe I said a phrase, not the way you would have said it or uh, heck maybe even not the way I would say it given a second, uh, a second chance. Um, so I, I see a lot of the angst coming out more from people because of the civil rights mm-hmm. movement. Um, but I don't know that that's where the angst originates. That right. just, it's probably easier to voice it around that. Well, we all know that it is a very difficult time to be a pastor. I mean, you, you mentioned the pandemic, you mentioned this uh, civil rights uh, racial justice uh, element that's uh, or movement that's uh, going through our country right now, uh, the, mm-hmm. the election, the economy. I mean, just so so many things. Well, Autumn mentioned a moment ago you wrote this wonderful article mm-hmm. uh, about pastors falling on their swords, and I remember you and I talking about this that you were having a dialogue with some ten pastors across denominational lines, and how many of them were extremely vulnerable talking about not not only the possibility of leaving ministry altogether, but some mm-hmm. were so distraught that they had even considered suicide. Mm-hmm. In this time, what are pastors doing to take care of themselves? Because it's mm-hmm. just, it is a hard, hard time for pastors right now. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I got to do a funeral, got to do, I don't know if that's the right language, uh, but I officiated a funeral yesterday 
for a family uh, that got connected with me because of that article. Um, 68-year-old man, pastor of a uh, American Baptist church in the north, uh, killed himself in July. Um, and they didn't know how to do the funeral or uh, memorial service for that really right now. Mm-hmm. And so then when they read, read my article, um, they, they reached out and asked me to officiate the, the memorial service. And so I, I'm going to come back around to your question in a minute. Yeah, sure. Mitch. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to say what I want to say first. <laughs> Go right so, ahead. You're there. You're um, our pastor. So you get to do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to just pretend it's Sunday for a minute. Um, <laughs> So, so they asked me to do the memorial service. Sixty-eight-year-old man who'd been a pastor for almost forty-something years, um, and he killed himself during during this time. Mm-hmm. This isn't yeah somebody that's young adjusting right. to it all for the first time. It was just finally finally too much, and um, so we're we're doing a Zoom memorial service. Uh, about 15 people, um, and I and I got their permission to to share this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, uh, and I opened it up for them to, to read letters that they wrote to the deceased or to God to do poems. Somebody did um, spoken word that they had written things uh, that you can't really do at a large funeral, mm-hmm. um, but you can when it's just fifteen close family members and, and friends. And so I saw I saw them lament in the biblical sense of the word, unlike anything I've ever, I've ever seen before in my life um, from cursing God for letting this happen to voicing hope uh, and pleading for God's comfort all, all in the same breath for shaking their fist at the deceased um, saying, why did you do this to us? And then we miss you so much. It was all a part of it. I, I mean, there was yelling and tears. I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm still processing. I've never seen anything like it, though. But I think one of the things that doing this over Zoom allowed us to do is there's a little bit of distance between me and you on Zoom that's not there when we're in person. Mm-hmm. So I get the advantages of airing my my grief and sharing it with someone, but I don't feel in, so intruded upon that I can't really let it out. And so, so what I think I saw right there that I think pastors could really learn a lot from um, it is learning to voice that lament in a safe space mm. now before it's too late. Yeah. It is finding peers where we can get on the Zoom together right. and cuss and yell and cry uh, and beg for the Lord to, to save us, to voice that deep uh, grief and pain that I think everybody is feeling and pastors certainly aren't having a support group, having a group of mm-hmm. colleagues who are in the trenches with you to be vulnerable and to mm-hmm. just talk with one another about the struggles of ministry, I think is vitally, vitally important. I'm so glad that yeah. our pastor, you has that. Yeah. What are some yeah. other suggestions that you might have for pastors during this time of, of difficulty, but also, you know, hopefully one of these days, this too shall pass. And ministry in itself is just difficult. What are some things that, you know, what are some outlets yeah, that counselor. you have? Um, okay, good. It's, uh, 
I, I'll tell you this. I don't, I don't trust another pastor that doesn't go to a counselor. Hmm. Um, I, I can't, I, I don't think I can be honest with another pastor that isn't, that isn't making their mental health a priority enough to get a professional um, to help them. We, we want people to come to us for spiritual needs. Um, then we, we've got to be willing to, to get help from a professional for mental, mental needs. And so I think every, everybody needs a counselor. Even if you don't think you need a counselor, you need, you need a counselor. There's, there's no exception mm-hmm. to that rule. Uh, now more than ever, uh, and hopefully you'll see the, the benefit of it now and, and we'll continue to do it. Um, now I know that's it's not cheap, um, but I very much believe it could be the difference between life and death uh, for people. How's it been, so how has it been uh, advantageous for you? Yeah, so um, my counselor, I've, I've, got a, I've got a really good counselor. Um, I've found this person uh, after searching, going to a few different ones for a while. I had, I've had a good relationship with several. Um, but this, this one's very helpful in that they don't, they, they're not a passive listener to my story. Um, so they listen to what I'm going through and then help me to see, uh, the truth. That's all. Um, they poke holes in the narrative that I'm telling in, in mm. ways that, uh, I, I, it could be self-absorbed sometimes. And so they're very you mean helpful. Pastors are self-absorbed. I don't know what you're talking about, Jacob Topper. No, no, no. They're not <laughs> just, just me. I'm sure. No, you know? we all are. Uh, I've always said right. the pastors are some of the most arrogant people because who in the world thinks that uh, they've got something to say every week and people yeah. want to listen to them. <laughs> uh, we're one of the top five, back. top five professions for sociopaths, um, <laughs> police say that's officers right. and pastors. Yeah. So, that's just I can see that. awesome. I can see that. Uh, lawyers, CEOs, all on the list. Mm-hmm. So Josh left one sociopathic profession for another. <laughs> um, okay, he's in good company. Yeah. So uh, self pity. I think pastors are very inclined to self pity uh, to play in the victim, mm-hmm. uh, and so having a counselor who can who can point out the faulty thinking that makes me miserable is only good for me and my happiness and for the flourishing of my church. Mm -hmm. So there's just, everybody needs a counselor. There's no excuses on that one. So Jacob, how do you balance your professional and your personal life? Because ministry is overwhelming and the topper girls are beautiful. So (laughs) yeah, that's a, that's a great question because when we went into virtual church, and we started working from home and worshiping from home and all that. Some of the natural boundaries, physical boundaries between work and home eroded immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I'm probably like most pastors um, that have had to recraft and recreate those healthy boundaries and draw lines between when I'm working and when I'm not. I mean, a pastor is on call 24-7. But not all the things a pastor gets called on 24-7 are emergencies. And so there are things that can wait to uh, tomorrow. So I've just made a habit of, um, and let I don't answer text messages or emails after about 6 o'clock. Um, if there's an emergency, someone can call me. Um, and they don't tend to call unless it's an emergency. I guess that's a cultural thing of, of right. today. Sure. Um, and so trying to, to say, okay, during these hours, I'm dedicated to the church work. 
Um, but when those hours are over, I'm dedicated to my family mm-hmm. um, because because that's the thing that's that's going to last. <laughs> uh, well, Jacob, we've got uh, one last question for you uh, before we wrap things up. Uh, the question is based on our motto here at Good Faith Media. Our motto is there is more to tell. And so one of the questions we have for you today is, what is your more to tell? If you were depressed, get some help. Go to your primary care physician, uh, get a counselor, confide in trusted friends. Um, don't don't suffer alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, email, call, I'm available, I'm volunteering, Mitch. Um, <laughs> there's, just, there's just absolutely no reason to suffer alone. There's, there's too many of us suffering to not to not do it together uh, and share sharing the burdens real, real important there could be, could be life or death. Good. Those are good words. And now we're going to let the locket kiddos say the Lord's prayer that Jacob mentioned earlier in the episode. So stay tuned. Father, Lord in heaven, Amen. the kingdom come, I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us and stay. I die our bed. And forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. And power. And the glory. And glory. Forever. Forever. Amen. Amen.